Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. It's showtime! Yes! We've been waiting for this for nine years. It's a Gilmore Girls podcast. I thought I knew exactly what I wanted and where I was going, but lately, I don't know, things seem hazier. We're happy. Luke and I are happy. I don't know how to do this. I was married for 50 years. Half of me is gone. I'm decluttering my life. Thanks to Melissa Cohn, who sponsors our list of six, hashtag list of six. And we decided this week, because we're looking at um, the Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life, we're going to do the best Gilmore Girls scenes to set the stage. So many great scenes over the seven seasons. I know, I know, I know. So do you want to you want to kick it off? Okay. For my first one, I'm going to choose the Festival of Living Art, where they did those tableaus of famous art pieces. Uh, I thought the artistry of that just knocked it out of the park. So you liked the visual of it? I loved the visual. I loved how it really brought the town together. It seemed very Stars Hollow-esque. I thought it was fantastic. And not to start off with a little bit of trivia, but for a show that was on for seven seasons, do you know how many Emmys it won? I don't think it won any. It won one. Was it for for a costume, though? It was for, you know... Very close. It was one for non-prosthetic makeup. And it was for this episode, the Festival of Living Arts. Yeah, it really never got its due. It's certainly gotten its due since then, but it never never really got its due when it was was up and rolling. So that's an interesting one. For me, there's so many emotional moments and so many messages that resonated with my life story. I have to start with Paris, who I think is probably... My favorite character in the Gilmore Girls. You know, I just love her. And I love her honesty and her bravery in that honesty. And I love all those things about her. But I don't know if you remember this scene. And I can't believe I'm actually going to admit to it being one of my favorites. But so they're at Yale. And Paris comes in drenched from from the rain. I mean, just clearly drenched. And this girl standing with Rory says, is it raining? And Paris says... No, it's baptism day. Tie your tubes. Okay, Hollister. <laughs> no, but I can't. I cannot tell you how many times I saw that that scene, and I just laughed, laughed, laughed because she always said out loud so many times. I've wanted to say things like that, like. Are you seriously going to ask that question? Well, as Lorelai says, she has Michelle and Rory has Paris. There you go. It's her angry friend. Yeah, I love her angry friend. Yes. Oh, you're but you're you're getting ahead of us. You're already into the year of. Okay, so what's your second one? Okay, you're gonna smack this one down, but I just wanted to give him a shout out. I loved the scene where Lorelai got together with Max played by Scott Cohen, who, of course, was Rory's teacher. Okay, well, that's, I, you know, I, I actually love the two of them together. I thought they were a really good pair. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay, my next one is Rory with Logan. And Logan looks at her and says, you jump, I jump. And they're, you know, uh, going to jump, where you know, using those umbrellas uh, and fly through the air to the bottom. And the reason I love that scene, first of all, it's also right out of Titanic. <laughs> you know, you you jump, I jump. But secondly, Rory had always stayed on the course. You know, she never colored outside the lines. She, this was the first moment that she took a real risk, and I loved her for it, and I loved Logan for his patience, you know, his support of having her do it. And one of the things I like about Logan as a character and as a person for her 
is that he really does support her and believe in her and elevate her without getting in the way. It's like he knows he's one of the few men I've seen on camera or otherwise that knows how to murmur rather than, I'll fix this for you, let me tell you how I'll do it. And I love that moment because I think it's a great moment for Rory. I think it's the first time she really does jump off a cliff. And secondly, I loved it because I love the way he got her there and how he uh, enabled her to do it, but didn't do it for her. You know, writer-creator Amy Sherman Palladino said she's convinced that every woman really has a father complex. And she said Logan was really Christopher. He was Rory's father figure. Hmm. And I had to really think about that. But did they jump before or after she slept with the married Dean? Because I always think of Rory as somebody that doesn't color outside the box. But when I really looked back on it, I'm like, she had some turbulent moments there. I didn't think that was really covering outside the box as much as... I don't. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I thought he was always her true love, and she really always thought he belonged to her. I mean, I just it just so wasn't you, the same thing as... you grandfathered him right in, the newly married I Dean? I did, yeah. Actually, I did. Interesting, yeah. Hollister. Um, I mean, that, maybe not fair, but it is certainly what I did. All right, what's your third one? Okay, it was when Luke pulls the horoscope out of his wallet that he had cut out of the newspaper from the very oh, first time he ever met Lorelai. And under <sighs> Scorpio, she had written in that he was going to meet an irritating woman that day, but give her coffee. And you realize he's kept it in his wallet for eight oh, That's years. such a good one. I love that one. It touched I on everything for me. One. All my great loves. Coffee, horoscopes, Luke. You yeah. know, there no. you go. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. Everything in my life has something to do with coffee. I believe in a former life I was coffee. Cannot believe the conversations I have in this room. All right, my third and last one is Rory's graduation speech from high school. And oh, nice, Hollister. It was the f- yeah, what I loved about it was it was the first time that she publicly acknowledged that she could love and be supported by and call family two sectors of a family that were so not connected to each other. I loved that she called the grandparents her pillars. And I loved that she called her mother her rock. And I thought it was really one of the great speeches. But then she goes on to say that she lives two lives. One's inside books where she's been to, you know, this. I mean, I loved her description of how she has been inside books. And I loved her connection to the real world with her family. So for me, that was probably, it's my third that I'm telling you about. But probably I think it's the finest Finest piece of it. I thought it was great. Wow, are we excited about this? Wow, are we excited about this? So we wanted to do those before we lead into the year in the life, and it's it's you know a number of you on Facebook and otherwise have been uh, have been watching it and saying that you're watching it along the way, and it's funny. I didn't sit down and watch it all in one vein, did you? I couldn't take it all at once. Six hours. I wanted to spread it out because I know me, and you know, nine years without the Gilmore Girls, I didn't want to just gobble up six hours worth and then be left in another void without mm-hmm. the Gilmore Girls. So I kind of wanted to pace myself. Totally out. understood. But I loved that they named it after the Four Seasons. Winter, spring, summer, and fall as yeah, an ode. Yeah, well, it's a year in the life, yeah. But it's also yeah. an ode to Carol King, who, of course, did You've Got a Friend, made famous by James Taylor, but she had done the theme song, of course, to Gilmore Girls. So I love and that she's... they even kept it in that order of her song yeah, lyrics. Yeah. Winter, spring, summer, or fall
you got a friend. When I first started watching it, I was angry. Like, really? I was. I was like, oh my, like, I, it, when it got to the scene, and we're, there's going to be spoilers here. We're going to have to say it right out of the gate. You can't talk about a year in the life without spoiling. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be told anything, then you should turn us off right now. <laughs> but when when it gets to the scene where she is explaining to Rory how cruel she had been to her mother at, after the funeral, after Rory had left the funeral, mm-hmm. and she went through that scene, I was angry and I was like, oh my God, you have crossed a line. All the terrible things that that family had done to each other had never, ever been so so cruel, I mean, so beyond the pale. And I thought, oh my goodness, how could you subject me to that? I've never been this uncomfortable in any of the scenes you've ever put me through with the Gilmore Girls. And then as I continued to watch it, what I realized is 10 years have passed and not only have they all grown up, but so have we. Like 10 years ago when I, when I watched you know, Gilmore Girls with my daughter who was in her teens, and now my daughter's 30, same age as Rory in this series. And then I thought, you know what? Now they're going to say, let's take a real look at a very complex family, and let's take a real look at it. And once I embraced that and recognized that I just think this is grad school for the Gilmore Girls, I thought it was unbelievably good that way. I thought it was so organic to the series because what I loved about it is Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband, Daniel Palladino, they created and wrote for the show for six seasons, had the contract dispute and left after season six. Well, they they were fired. Well, it was written by others, season seven, and then it was canceled. So this reboot gave them a chance to go back, reopen it and kind of close it the way that always intended. And what I find really interesting is Amy Sherman Palladino said that when they introduced the characters of Lorelai's parents, she realized that because Lorelai had always had this rift with her parents and because Emily Gilmore was so damaged by the fact that Lorelai took off, they were both so shaped by this that she said it was fodder for a lot of comedy, but at the base of it was really a tragedy. Oh, it was. And I thought it was a really beautiful way to pay tribute to Edward Herman, who passed away in 2014. So you start in a moment of grief and mourning, and it was a theme that was always throughout the Gilmore Girls, where Lauren Graham said when she first read the script, she realized that no matter how old you are, when you go to your parents' house, you sometimes behave like a kid. Yeah, that may be, but it was so cruel what she said, and and you could see how how very devastated her mother was. One of the great, 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 great strengths of the show is Kelly Bishop's acting. When she calls Lorelai to task, you really do see Lorelai through a different prism. You have nothing but contempt for this family. That is not true. What did we ever do to you that filled you with such contempt? Love you? Support you? Love Rory? Support Rory? I'm not filled with contempt. All my other friends have children who worship them, who call them every day, who take pride in the family name and traditions. I have pride. Your father was a great man, a pillar of the community, a man amongst men. I know. And you dishonor him today like this in his own house. I didn't mean to dishonor him. Well, what did you mean to do, Laurel? I break my heart in public, no fun doing it in private anymore? Mom, 
I know that you are in massive pain. Believe it or not, I'm in pain too. I'm tired and my head is spinning and I haven't eaten in two days. You not eaten, please. Yes, me. I'm surprised you didn't have a pizza delivered during Ave Maria. Well, I haven't eaten and I drank my weight in single malt scotch. I screwed up, I made a mistake. That was not a mistake, that was premeditated. How could it have been premeditated if I didn't know it was coming? You never do anything unless it's exactly what you want to do. You never have. You blow through life like a natural disaster, knocking down everything and everyone in your path. I wonder if Luke knew what he was getting into with you. Don't. Did you ever even ask him what he wanted? Where he wanted to live if he wanted children? I'm sure none of that mattered to Laura like Gilmore. Nothing ever matters to her except what she wants, what she feels. And God help you, if she thinks you've wronged her, she will hold on to that grudge forever, just waiting for the moment to get back at you. I made a mistake, a goddamn mistake. You've never let me make a mistake ever. Not once in my life, which is how we always find ourselves here. Where? Standing in the middle of this room, yelling at each other like idiots. How dare you call me an idiot? I just lost my husband. I just lost my father. And you couldn't care less. That's horrible. You're horrible. Get out. First the health, then me. Seems about right. Go home. Go back to your beloved town with his carnies and misfits and tell them how your intolerable mother yelled at you at your father's funeral. And they can all console you and tell you what a witch I am and how perfect you are. Full freaking circle. I really think it added a powerful level to the storytelling. Uh, that was my point, is that it was so much more bold than they've ever gone before. It was at that point in time when I had to embrace the fact that we were going to go a little deeper than we've ever been. And, and the clipped wonderful dialogue and everything else, there was going to be a lot of rumblings underneath. But even at the opening scenes when they, you know, when Rory comes back and they go home and Luke is there and he's making all this stuff for dinner and they really were rude. I'm not making tater tots. Why not? We need sustenance. You're eating tacos. They're organic. Ah, and I saw you grab those mini donuts, put them down right now. I mean, I know that feeling when you've made a, you know, you've spent a couple of hours making a really big dinner and people come in and they're eating and there was a, there was, there was a, you know, a rudeness to them toward him. And then they run into the room and shut the door. And I, it, again, I have been told over the years that one of the things some people haven't liked about the Gilmore Girls is they are very self-involved, <laughs> very much um, self-centered and, you know, her expectation that even when a store is closed, it should open up because she needs coffee or, you know, there is a very, very, very narcissistic approach to both the two Gilmore girls. And to me, that opening scene so screamed it, you know, and even their, their disregard and their, you know, uh, of her boyfriend, whose name I can't remember because they never even tried to remember it. Paul. You know, it was a very yeah, well, funny bit either throughout. way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's, by the way, there's a piece of that, that is isn't funny, you know, that's yes. very un unkind. And, you know, it's a, you know, here's this guy who shows up, who's done, you know, done all these things for these people who can't even remember his name. And they think that's sort of cute and funny. It's not, you know, so, so the beginning of it, I and had a yet hard time with. they all keep telling Rory to break up with him. It's not well, like they're out to torture the guy. Well, either way, none of them, them were very nice about the fact that he had gone to some great lengths to support conversations he'd had with them in the past. I mean, they couldn't even be bothered to remember them. But my, so my point is, when it starts off, that first 15 minutes to a half an hour, I am like, oh my God, who are these people who, I don't really like them anymore. And then it settled in to... 
um, to a rhythm that was a new rhythm, different from the series rhythm, but a new rhythm. And it was a much more in-depth exploration of their own fallibility and their own lack of confidence, all of them, in a way that was really beautifully done, I thought. So the rest of the entire year, I was so happy to watch, so grateful to watch, you know. I thought it was really, really, really intense. And I thought she went deeper in her writing than she ever did in six seasons. And I thought that she was much more vulnerable in her writing as well. Unbelievably so. I totally see your points. But the very, very first scene, I thought it was a beautiful way to reopen the series where it's Lorelai alone on the gazebo in the center of town with coffee, her true love. And then Rory joins her, which I think is the appropriate next character to introduce. They start their banter back and forth, and then they go, woo, winded. We haven't done that in a while. It was such a funny little ode yeah, to the Yeah, I didn't have any problem with that part. Thing. I told you. My, it you started know, when they got to the beginning. house. And I totally see your point. It's kind of like when people point out that Sarah Jessica Parker's character, Carrie in Sex and the City, is actually at heart self-involved. And I totally see it. But I think the dynamic had shifted, too, where you realize now Luke and Lorelai are living together. So whereas before you would have seen him in his diner, you realize now he is making food for them in her kitchen. And it's one of these things that always did run through the Gilmore Girls is that she always put Rory first ahead of everything else. And it is hard for Luke to find his way in there. Right. I just thought they were rude. I thought all of them were rude. You see the pluses and minuses of it. You know, but I think it was very true to the series. Visually, it was like somewhere between a movie and a stage play. So Netflix did an amazing job. It didn't feel like a TV show that got rebooted. I watched with my sister who had never watched the series when it was on. So she had never seen the Gilmore Girls and Uh she thoroughly enjoyed it, which I think says a lot for doing something like this, that it stands on its own. I think you could absolutely pick it up having not seen it and and enjoyed it too. I'm feeling very lost these days. I have no job. I have no credit. I have no underwear. What? Could have been a contender. You're still a contender. Watching Rory's journey of you know, certainty. And again, she did change her mind. She was going to go to Harvard her whole life and then changed and went to Yale. But she'd always been on the straight and true. And to watch her sort of wandering around at the age of 30, trying to find her way, I thought was unbelievably beautiful. And then when she has this incredible encounter with Jess about, and he says to her, well, why don't you write about you and your mother? And I thought, I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. And you know where I saw it in Little Women. You know, when when Gabriel Byrne in the 94 remake of Little Women, who plays Professor Bear, tells Joe Marsh, you know, he it's clear he doesn't like what she's been writing. And he says to her, you know, you have to write about your family. I mean, it's the exact same scene, you know, from Little Women with Winona Ryder. And then I thought, oh my gosh, if you look at Rory in this particular portion of the series, she's very Joe Marshish. You know, she really is. Well, that was the part that I couldn't tell if it was really depressing me on a meta level. You know, when really? we met Rory huh. from 2000 to 2007, she is on the cusp of reaching just an infinite amount of potential. You know, like the world is at her feet. The town is completely Covering rooting Obama for her. in 2008, yeah, it's a big deal. Well, I mean, throughout, you know, she's the young, precocious Rory. And then you meet a 32-year-old Rory. On the one hand, she's a product of her generation, where they made a joke out of that with the millennials and the 30-something crowd, and even their parents have a support group to swap resumes to try to find them jobs because they're all back living with their parents. You know about the 30-something game. It's a group of kids all about your age. They've been to 
college than out in the real world, and it spit them out like a stale piece of gum, and now they're all back in their old rooms like you. I'm not back. Is she unhappy? Is she happy? She wasn't at all comfortable. And, I mean, if you even look at, you know, her comfortable lying to her mother about being with Logan or not. I mean, every aspect of her life was not settled, whereas a lot of the people around her were settled. You know, her encounter with Dean and how settled he is and seemingly happy and, um, you know, Paris, totally in Paris land. I mean, if you look at her peers that she grew up with that we who were all struggling when she seemed to be on the right path, now all of a sudden this is role reversal in a year in the life where they all are on the path that they were struggling with earlier and now she's sort of not as comfortable. It's well, a, it was a very interesting she's dynamic. a little untethered. I mean, they call her a vagabond. They call her a wayfarer. But I don't know that the others were happy. Paris is quoting Stalin when they go back to do the alumni lecture. So I, I can't say Paris will ever be happy. She's the one still bickering with her ex-husband and divorced, and the nannies are all quitting because it's the vertical Armageddon, their five-story home. They were settled in their lives. You know, who's to say whether they were, quote, happy or not? And even Jess, who, you know, they leave the door open on that. Now, I've always loved Jess. I've always thought she should be with him. And I love the way when he was packing up his bag, um, you know, at the house before the wedding, and he was putting this book that he was reading. I mean, I loved that he was still bookish Jess and complex, but really thoughtful and caring. I think he's the best male character that she's ever been entangled with. See, I can't so, say that I was a big Jess fan. I get that I liked their intellectual connection, but Milo Ventimiglia, who plays Jess, he said something very interesting that I thought you would totally appreciate. He says, quote, Jess was always the troublemaker, but when you take a troublemaker that's grown up, they are an instigator and more so a thought provoker. That's exactly. the role that Jess he, filled, particularly is, with Rory. Well, not only that, you know, he really understands her in a way that some of the others don't. He was able to pinpoint exactly what she should be writing, you know, and also I think he's sexy as hell for her and that he's got a little bit of that bad boy, which takes her off the straight and narrow. You know, to me, Jess has always been a really good egg for her that way. I would have loved to have heard to come up with what she should be writing about on her own. Even when she goes for that interview and they ask her, so do you have any thoughts? She had no thoughts. And I thought, oh, I've never seen Rory so empty. Well, but also the self-centered nature of mm -hmm. which she approached that interview is exactly yep. what I'm talking about. Both she and her mother, it's like the world revolves around them. And she was didn't prepare to go in and talk about what she could do there. She just was going because there's nothing left. I mean, she definitely is rudderless. This is my time to be rootless. And you're okay with this vagabond existence she's leading? Do She's Jack Kerouac. She's on the roading it. Pass the peyote. After you pass the peyote, what bathroom will you use to throw up in? Hmm, delicious. Explain to me again who that person is. Kelly Bishop made a. I'm shocked, but after, after she saw the A Year in the Life, she said she didn't didn't like the ending. You know, yeah, you know, hey mom, I'm pregnant. You know, she didn't like that ending. And I think that ending leaves the door open for yet another, you know, six-part series or four-part series in a couple of years. Uh, you know, I, I like that ending. I think it's full circle. I think it's all of those things that make total sense. And I also that she would agree. have a child without a husband makes total sense. And 
Um, well, so Amy Sherman yeah. Palladino, she knew from the very first season those yes. were the last four words she wanted. I I can't imagine another ending because it's been well, this but not without a husband, and not necessarily without a husband though. It's been a recurring theme throughout that Lorelai was always a little worried that Rory would derail her life just as she had done. So when Jess appears on the scene, she's thinking. Oh my goodness, when Rory drops out of college, she's thinking, oh my goodness, I did everything I could so Rory would be the kid that my parents really wanted. And now Lorelai is the one who's off hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Rory is the one in Stars Hollow pregnant. I think you're absolutely right. It definitely leaves it open for another series, but it definitely brings everything full circle. And then I also loved, and in fact, I I could weep. That her mother, in the end, rejected the life that Laura Lee all along rejected and went out to live a totally different kind of life, much more like Laura Lee's in terms on Nantucket. I mean, there was something very rich and very poignant about that that I thought was beautiful. I think Kelly Bishop is an amazing actress. And I think her story arc was the best because the all best. three I agree. of the totally. entire matriline, Kelly Bishop, Lauren Graham, you know, Alexis Liddell, it was all about self-fulfillment, but she really did carve out a happy, happy space for herself where she's sitting in that beautiful home looking out on the water and every argument she had with Lorelai, I really saw it from, not necessarily from her point of view, but her point of view was very well represented. You know, I, are I you the agree more. only one allowed Absolutely. to have Absolutely. And when she has that... That moment at the DAR when she tells them all off, I mm-hmm. thought, you go, girl. <laughs> and so she kept there. the lemon cookie. You're not getting in, honey. That is not true. You were never going to get in. Serena, you are wife number four. Now, sometimes, if the man is very old, that's a good position to be in because he'll probably be too exhausted to try and find wife number five. And maybe you can wait him out like Barbara Sinatra. She just waited him out. And I loved it when the woman shoves the... Um, the napkin down her way. Now, yes, interestingly crumbs. enough, did you notice that um, that the writers, you know, she and her husband, they didn't write together. They each wrote two segments. She bookended it, so she got the first and the last of the four and seasons. And I think she's better. And I he think took she did the better. second and yeah. the third. Yeah. I would love to know more about their process because I know Amy Sherman Palladino has always said to turn out a really strong series, the writer and the director has to be the same person, which you hear so many times from the writer-directors yeah. we love. Mm-hmm. And she said she would love to do a sitcom, but nowadays there's 20 writers in a room. And she said with 20 writers in a room, you can't have that clear voice. But I would love to know, did she write an episode and then just leave it to her husband to continue? And then he handed it back? Or did they kind of have the yeah, but structure it's a great, banged That'd out? be a great question. Yeah. But it's interesting because I liked her episodes better than his. And what's with that long musical? Did we really need to see all of that? I thought we only have six hours and you're wasting... 20 minutes on a musical that you could have showed me in five minutes? Why did he do that? I thought the musical was great and very true to the show because they've always had music at its root. I will watch Sutton Foster do anything. And it was hilarious to me because Christian Borle and Sutton Foster, they used to be married to each other. They both have two Tonys. But how did that progress the plot? It reinforced for her that she was in a very different place from the rest of the town. So whereas the town was in love with the He could have done that in three minutes. He didn't need to do that in 
15 minutes. It didn't feel too long to me. And then I thought it was beautiful when then she sees Sutton Foster perform I Am Unbreakable. Okay, that was beautiful. And you see Lorelai crying. And then the rest of the town's like, oh, you know, that was schlocky. I think everyone cried. Anybody who didn't cry, write to us and we'll make sure that we send you some sort of something to help you along with your inner turmoil. Because that was an ama- that was probably the most poignant scene in the entire six hours. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. there were some very funny moments where Carol King says, well, you know, I wrote a song. And she stands up and starts playing I Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet. <laughs> and Taylor's like, no, that's not catchy. Oh, yeah, I loved it. That, you know, yeah, humor. Such quirky characters on this show. And they all came back. I mean, from Kirk to Gypsy to uh, the guy from Sonic Youth, Sebastian Bach, who was in Lane and Zach's band. The number of people they got to come back for this show was And Suki coming back. By that time, I thought she wasn't coming back. Well, I had heard she was coming back, but I thought, what a great way to wind it up, where you bring in all these real-life chefs like Roy Choi and Ina Garten and Rachel Ray. And then, you know, it's like such a buildup for Suki, but it's also a little underhanded way of, you know, writing into the plot like, oh, she abandoned us and, you know, And what did you think of the Wizard of Oz scene? Um, Remind me which one that was. <laughs> well, <laughs> did I miss Lo- a witch when, bicycling when through the air? Brings, when Logan oh, brings all the friends back and tango and takes Rory on what is supposed to be a dream sequence, I felt that was mirroring the Wizard of Oz. And in the end, she says, "Thank you. You're the Scarecrow. I'll always miss your heart." Like they gave her everything she needed. They just showed her it was always there inside her on her own. And then she says goodbye to them. That was the Wizard of Oz. She was Dorothy. Very you didn't think so? Interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but I loved it because, again, it's like that episode that I love, the Festival of the Arts, where they're in this tango club, and it was extremely well done. And that's the kind of risky artistic endeavor where that could have been a nosedive fail, but they really pulled it off. Well, not only that, she actually used verbiage from The Wizard of Oz, I'll miss you most of all, like... You know, the, you know, some very, very famous lines came out of the fact that it was always inside Dorothy. She just had to find it herself. And that night was to point that out to her. And then she could go off and fly away, fly away. And she didn't need, she didn't need them to prop her any longer. I mean, it was, you know, it was definitely, I think, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a Wizard of Oz moment. And between that and then Joe Marsh, I thought, Oh my goodness, she likes some of the same books I do. Which is funny, too, because Gilmore Girls is always rife with yeah. pop culture references. Yeah. and I, I thought well, it was really, really well done. You know, Amy really. Sherman Palladino, she's named her production company, who did this and Bunheads and the original Gilmore Girls series. She named it Dorothy Parker Drank Here Productions as an ode to the great Dorothy Parker, who was a huge creative influence on Amy Sherman Palladino. But... There was a lot of drinking in this revival. In the original, you know, they're always drinking coffee. But here watching Rory pull bourbon out of her desk, I wasn't quite prepared for that. Huh. Um, I didn't notice more. Really interesting. I feel like they were always pulling out scotch and bourbon and wine and kind of drank their way through the four seasons. Huh. Now, also, did you think that Mrs. Gilmore shrunk? She's very little. She looked very thin. Very little, yeah. Very, very thin. Little. And yet, I have to say, that generation has amazing posture. When she walks into a room, 
her bearing is just, I know it's part of her character, right? but boy, I mean, I, I laughed so hard when she showed up in the t-shirt and jeans and her daughter, <laughs> Lord Gray, I was just like, what is going on? Cause you realize we've never seen her in anything approaching jeans. I loved her. I thought she looked great. I was she very happy for her. She fantastic. Her arm yeah. tone and everything. And finally she finds a housekeeper she can get along with who's just does what she does. You know, that I loved whole it. bit was so funny. And you even saw that she really did have a, a nurturing side where the kids of some of her service people move into the house and Lorelai's like, you've got a family living here. You don't know about it. She's like, what's the big deal, Lorelai? It's my house. But at the very end where you see her putting the blankets on the kids, I love her character. I, I find it very 360 degrees and the way well, she Well, I also love that she, yeah, she confirmed and legitimized Lorelai's rejection of everything she felt was important for 60 years of her life. And that's a big thing to do, and it's a big pill to swallow, and good for her is all I can say. And when she goes and they show her giving the lecture about what's really happening when they kill a whale, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you go, girl. I loved her. I Wait. love her. I love her. She's always been one of my favorite. She and Paris, to me, are the characters that best represent qualities that I would love love, love to enhance in myself. Very interesting. You know, that whole dynamic reminded me of the dynamic, not the tone, but the dynamic in the affair where Maura Tierney's parents have great, yes, Maura Tierney's parents have great wealth and Maura Tierney and her husband, Noah, they always mock it. Like, oh, these empty people. While they're living off of it though? While they're living off of it. So for example, Lorelai at the very end where she goes back and there's that great scene with Kelly Bishop and she talks about how she wants to expand and buy. But she hardly lives off her parents' money. I mean, she never did every pivotal point was when she came to ask for money. She asked for it for Rory's education. She's going to have to ask for it to expand the inn, to live out her dream. And Kelly Bishop's like, you're here because you need money. So the money made a lot of things possible. And even, I don't know that Kelly Bishop renounced everything. I mean, she didn't give away all her wealth. She is living in that beautiful home in Nantucket. But I did love her dramatic arc. Well, money is freedom, you know, and uh, it certainly is apparent in in the Gilmore Girls, no question. You know, one other thing that cracked me up is the, the therapy sessions. I thought it was a great replacement of the enforced together time of the Friday night dinners. I thought it was good, but I thought that what they didn't do well was having the therapist actually be a therapist. I thought the therapist could have added a lot to that and then they didn't give her anything to do. She really did just listen. Exactly. But from the tone, I thought it was a lot like Jane the Virgin or even your Pollyanna where you have these great town dynamics and at heart it really is about family. Well, it's about community. You know, there's community there's a bunch of different communities there. There's their community of Rory's friends that come from her college years. There's the community in Stars Hollow. There's the community of their own family. You know, there's a lot of community in there. But you know where you know. I don't I don't know where I stand on this is the dynamic of the small town because on the one hand, you've got Stars Hollow. So has there ever been a more charming depiction of small town life? And yet you see that push and pull when Rory comes back and every single townsperson says, oh, Rory, you're back. And she says, I'm not back. It's the push and the pull of, am I not reaching my potential because I've crawled back into my comfort zone? Was I supposed to go out and do something great? And yet you see the characters in the big cities like Alex Kingston playing the alcoholic person who... Um, you know, Rory is supposed to be ghostwriting for. And you think, okay, it's not as though the cities guarantee happiness. Uh, I think 
it was clear she was moving. You know, she said, I'm moving, packing up her stuff just before the ending. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where she, where she ends up. But I think they also left very much left the door open for the next round. I don't think this is the end of the Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the one character I really wanted to see a little bit more of was Miss Patty. <laughs> well, you know I didn't. <laughs> The other character that I also loved, I loved Mrs. Kim in this. I loved her her moment. I always loved Mrs. Kim. I loved Lane. I loved how Lane used to hide her yeah. music under her floorboards. But Hollister, tell me this, because you have a very good handle on all seven seasons of the original. Had we ever met Mr. Kim before the reboot? No, that was the first time. Okay, I thought so. I thought I don't yep. think I'd ever seen Mr. Kim, and then all of a sudden there's this little cameo. But the, here's the thing, we didn't meet him. You know, I, again, I don't think they should have inserted him because they didn't give, there was no point to him, and again, it was in the one he wrote, not the one she wrote. You know, what was the point of bringing him in? It's a good point because it's the same way that you realize that Logan has this French fiancé, and I was very glad they never actually showed us the fiancé. You know, you, you kind of get the sense that there's someone in his apartment in London. But I was just fine not meeting her. I didn't need okay, to meet if, Mr. Kim. Okay, here's the question. I'm going to ask you a burning question, number one. Ready? Okay, okay. If she had said to Logan, leave her and be with me, would he have done it? I don't know. It's of interesting. Of course you do. This is a yes or no. You're not allowed to have... You can't walk the fence. And this is why you like to be Paris. Whereas I think they dabbled <laughs> in ambiguity very the well. The answer is no. He wouldn't have. Well, it's interesting because you can tell he loves her, but... I would have maybe said there was a chance until he said, Ace, that's the dynastic plan, is that he marries this Well, French not only woman. that, he bought into that plan. You know, there's pieces of Logan that are not okay. And that there's was one of them. pieces of all of them that are not okay. Oh, what's wrong with Jess? There's nothing wrong with Jess. He's Jess was the bad boy. I mean, he's he can be very supportive, but he can also be a handful. I didn't think he did anything so bad, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. He rejected society in a way that Lorelai did. Yeah, well, let me ask you this. If you had been Lauren Graham and your daughter said she was going to write a book, what would your reaction be? You go, girl. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? I don't know. Rory writing the book, it goes to show just how intertwined their lives are. So from this theme song about you lead and I will follow. There were some great references to that. So in the very first episode where Paul says, go ahead, I'll follow. And then there's the scene where Lorelai and her mother fight and her mother turns around and says, don't follow. It's this lead follow concept where I think a central theme has always been independence. So Lorelai's first inn that she worked at was the Independence Inn. And they're all striving for independence, but their lives are so intertwined. Mm, what a great where thread. Does I like that. Rory yeah. stop and where does Lorelai's begin? You know, you can't I lo- have one I love that thread. girl. Yeah. But as somebody who's a writer, I would like to write more. Um, I, I applaud somebody who is going to, you know, put it out there. Again, you know, I think, uh, I think vulnerability is everything. And you can't be vulnerable if you aren't truthful. And you can't be truthful if you aren't willing to say things that are going to upset others. And I loved that meta level that Rory's book becomes the name of the show. I love that. Well, I love that Rory has a right to write a story, you know, and her mother has a right to be upset and not want it out there, but she has a right to write it, you know. And, you know, we all have a right to tell a story and uh, and then we accept the repercussions and, 
you know, for for putting it out there. But all right, now burning From question the same number person two. Person who felt that they were being mean to Paul. You well, know. yeah, they were being mean to Paul. So there's a big cost though. What? To what that a, book. How does that relate to this? Because I think writing that book that could be so hurtful when Lorelai was saying, "So all these stories are going to come out about how I forgot you in a bucket in the store, and my mother's going to know where I did this and that, and the, the whole tell all fallout." Not that I think that was Rory's intent, but Paul, I'm just saying Paul, there's repercussions they were, they were to being passively open and abusive to Paul. They put him in obscurity. Her mother, you know, that was. I think that's totally different. But burning question it number two. Would have been okay two. to write a book about him. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Burning question number two. Mm-hmm. Um, did Laura Lie read the first three chapters? No. Oh, I think she did. Interesting. Lorelai, it would be totally out of character for her not to have read them. But I think it was the principle of, you know what, I don't need to read it. I had my little aha moment on the Pacific Lorelei, Crest Trail. she sends her boxes home from her apartment in Brooklyn, and her mother can't leave the boxes in her room without opening them to see what's in them. There's no way she didn't open that manuscript. Well, maybe that was supposed to be her little evolution. I don't of, think so. Okay, Rory, go be I know. It, was so, it would have been so out of character. There's nothing Lorelai didn't want to know about everybody. It was very out of character for her not to have opened it, especially if it was about her. I I didn't buy that at all. I thought she read it. Throughout the series, and even in this reboot, Gilmore Girls has always had so many amazing cameos and guest stars and characters. And, you know, when you think about the original series where they got Norman Mailer and Madeline Albright and Christiane Amanpour, and here there were some fabulous cameos like Lauren Graham's real-life boyfriend, Peter Krause, from The Catch. He played the park ranger. And, you know, the the Broadway stars that they got to be in this, for example, the woman from the DAR interview, she's a Broadway star. I think it's a tribute to the show that it attracts such talent where they will all say yes and sign on. Well, you know, I don't know how much money they were given, but I think it's also people want to act in good things that are well written. So Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody did anybody a favor by being in this show. So and I think everybody was well paid. And so it wasn't surprising to me that they were able to get cameos like that. I think most shows can get them. They just sometimes choose to and sometimes don't. But more and more often shows are choosing to do so. Even from a secretary of state. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, more and more often now you're seeing people coming on shows and doing little bits and turns. between 2000 and 2007 and their use of musicians, I think it really was groundbreaking. Yeah, well, I you know, it, it, whether it was as a, as a TV show, whether it was groundbreaking, if you look at what was on against it at the time, you know, it was definitely different. Yep, because it was Survivor, it was Friends. Well, and totally, really, women protagonists and women's stories and very much leaning toward a, mil- a women's, you know, POV. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely, definitely was. I have two trivia questions for you. Okay, here's the Ugh, first. The pressure. All of Rory's love interests went on to star in very successful TV shows. Can you name them? And can you name which boyfriend has been in the highest number of episodes on a hit show? Okay, it'd have to be Logan in The Good Wife. Okay, that's definitely one of them. Um, Carrie Argos on The Good Wife, that was 156 episodes. And that's not even the longest running one. That's the second longest running. Okay, uh, I don't know who would be... I don't know the others. What was Jess in? Jess was in Heroes. And now he's in that new show you like, This Is Us, playing Jack. 
Oh my God, I do not even recognize him. Uh, she dated Tristan, who was her love interest at Chilton for a bit there. Chad Michael Murray, he went on to star in One Tree Hill for 131 episodes. Yeah, never saw Okay, it. but this is it's, it's an amazing fact to me. Dean, <laughs> he went on and is still starring in Supernatural. So now he's been in 251 episodes hmm, of Supernatural. I've never seen it's it. It's now been on for 12 seasons. The power of dating Rory in a fictional show. Well, there you go. Okay, here's my other trivia question. Amy Sherman Palladino also created and wrote a very short-lived series called Bunheads, which only lasted one season, 2012-2013, about a Las Vegas showgirl who married a man on a whim and ends up having to move to his sleepy little coastal town and becomes a ballet teacher, played by Sutton Foster. Can you name how many people from the Gilmore Girls revival also appeared on her show Bunheads? No, I never even <laughs> heard of the show. Okay, it's, it's remarkable to me. You know, Kelly Bishop, the great Kelly Bishop, hmm. your Liza Weil, who played Paris. The person who ran the startup where Rory blows the interview, who, by the way, also plays the daughter on The Affair, uh, Gypsy, and the blonde Bim from the DRA interview, they're all from Bunheads. Uh, I, you know, I think that's interesting, but I never saw any of those shows, so I'm not quite sure what that means, you know? Well, I think when these people find people they like to work with, they just uh-huh. constantly call yeah, them well, back. Yeah, well, I think that, that, you know, look, I mean, look, certainly Aaron Sorkin... Shonda Rhimes. Exactly. I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. and Shonda Rhimes. You know, it's this is not unusual, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you go to what Shonda Rhimes has stated, that you really have to find a group of people that know how to play as a team or the set is a mess. Mm -hmm. And so once you know somebody does play team player, you're not going to go outside the box if you don't have to because you don't want to take that risk. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's not surprising me. They all came back for Amy Sherman Palladino. Yeah. Yeah. And all of them certainly, I think, you know, recognized what the show did for them and they knew it was going to get a ton of publicity, which it is. You think about how busy a lot of these actors are just to schedule this is kind of a feat because Sutton Foster was starring on Broadway and in between seasons of Younger. And it's incredible to me to think about how many people were on Gilmore Girls and then went on to become famous, like John Hamm. You know, a lot of very interesting cameos when you go back and watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I live for moments like these. There were two scenes that really made me cry. Really? What were they? They were back to back. One was Lorelai's call to her mother from the Pacific Crest Rim. That was a great moment, yeah. And then they cut to Luke in the kitchen talking to the dog, where he's making him a steak. And he looks at the dog who's begging and he goes, look, I won't blow on the steak so you get it sooner. I only do that for Lorelai. And then Lorelai comes in and there's that scene between Luke and Lorelai in the kitchen. You know, he thinks she's breaking up with him and she proposes. And he says to her, the only way out is in a body bag. And she says, now we don't have to write our vows. (laughs) I thought it was so moving and so funny. Very Gilmore Girl-esque. Did you have a favorite line? Oh, no. I, 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 well, I, I, you know, I, I probably would have the second time I watched it, but not the first time, no. Do you? A line that made me laugh out loud was when Rory is at the Star's Hollow Gazette, and there's that woman who Rory says, would you answer the phone? And she goes, look, I'm filing this piece of paper. And Rory oh, says... Exactly. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yes. I don't mean to imply that you've been filing that piece of paper for a long time, but when you started, Nora Ephron still felt good about her neck. I know. That was a great line. 
I burst out laughing. Yeah. Well, also, the, you're a huge Nora Ephron fan. Well, in your honor, one of the lines that cracked me up the most was Kirk talking about his Uber ratings. <laughs> that woman oh, said we're going to bring that up, up again? Okay, yes. I'm done with that. We're not, la, 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 we're not talking now. about that. I love that you could call his mother to give the rating. I loved the magical touches of even that scene at the end with the wedding in the gazebo. I yeah. found it a very romantic show at its heart. I think probably because it took so long for for Luke and Lorelai to get together. Interesting. A lot of writers nowadays, I think it's an important lesson. If they don't rush the the romance plots, I think you'd probably have a, a more dedicated following. I agree. And even the exuberant ending with Luke driving the Gilmore girls and they pop their heads out of the top of his truck. Yeah. And the fact that it was three rather than two. I like that. I like that yes, about it. Yes, and to show that the Gilmore girls really are a package deal. You yeah. can't have one without the other. Nor does he seem to want to, you know, which was sort of nice. Okay, I do want to end with a plea. A number of news outlets and on social media, there was a big thing on Twitter that people started watching and it was boring and so they stopped. And I can understand why you thought the first part was boring and not as as well written as you, you know, didn't go right back into it the way we were comfortable. You got to you got to go back because it gets better 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 and it's really worth the watch in the end. So those of you who left out the first 40 minutes according to what I read, uh, you got to go back. You got to go back. back. And I was worried about all the hype it was getting, but I thoroughly enjoyed all six hours. And I have to say, I don't think it's a coincidence that Netflix's logo is the same color as the Santa Claus. <laughs> okay, goodbye, Gilmore Girls. 